I'm Bill Morris with Habitat Magazine, and joining me today is Neil Davidowitz, president of Orsid New York. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to see you again. Hey, now, co-op boards and to a lesser extent condo boards do a lot of policy setting in their buildings. Some of those policies are designed to improve the value of units. Some are designed to keep the peace. But let's talk about policies that are designed to enhance the value of apartments in a building and how sometimes counterintuitively those policies tend to backfire. Can you give us a couple of examples off the top of your head of cases where this might happen? So to your point, Bill, and you are correct, many buildings, co-op and condos, are very focused on value. For many, many shareholders and unit owners, the value of their apartment is a key component, it's a key asset, if not the largest asset in their estate. And Boards are cognizant of that value and are focused on policies that address that. It's something that needs to be reviewed, these policies, on a regular basis. And some specific examples that you've requested is I'm finding co-ops are revisiting cash down requirements. Historically, co-op boards thought that the greater amount of cash you required of a prospective purchaser, it would possibly give the building a certain panache and increase value. They also thought that the more cash you had in, the greater the co-op was be protected relative to the collection of maintenance. I think boards are now reviewing that and, and coming to different conclusions in some cases. Well, now is the populace of buyers changing? It is. The populace is a younger population of prospective buyers with tremendously significant incomes but have not been able to squirrel away millions of dollars to meet a 50% or 40% cash down requirement. They're financially strong. They'll be great members of the community, but they either do not have those funds to put that cash down requirement or may not want to for other reasons. Well, their investments are probably worth more than that down payment, so they want to hang on to that cash. Well, now, in this changing world, Neil, what are you advising your co-op boards to do? Should they change those policies, soften them, or what? My advice would be yes to soften them for two reasons. I think we have a fiduciary obligation to our shareholders to improve and maintain value. And if we increase a buyer pool of prospective buyers, I think that's a good thing that will increase value. The board still has the unilateral right to review applications, review finances, to make sure that the prospective purchaser is strong. So I am recommending a review of that. And I think it's important that boards do that. Okay. So the cash down payments is one area. Give us another policy where you think boards need to be thinking twice. I think historically co-op boards, many, not all, were very much anti-subletting and thought that subletting would have detrimental impacts to the community. They wanted a building that was made up of people who resided there. They thought that the old adage that an owner would take care of the building and their apartment better than a renter. I think that's another area where buildings are reviewing policies, that policy, because that also could have a detrimental effect on value. How so? Prospective purchases want options. And that's why condominiums are trading higher. If somebody gets transferred or somebody has to leave and does not want to sell, if someone has to care for parents or children and have to vacate that apartment, they don't want to have to continue paying a maintenance and mortgage obligation if they're not there. And 
the ability to sublet creates really uh, a benefit to them, a huge financial potential benefit. And I think many buildings are starting to look at that sublet policy and think it makes sense. I'm guessing you're not advocating the sky's the limit, let everybody sublet all at once. There've got to be some limits on this, I'm thinking. Yeah. Definitely parameters in terms of number of years, still advocating 100% the vetting of those prospective subtenants in terms of application and interview, but allowing, it's also a value issue. Do you want to force people to sell in a down market that detrimentally affects everybody's value? Or are we not better served allowing a few people to sublet for a few years until the market resets? Now, boards also have to be aware, I think, that lenders look at that owner-occupied versus sublet ratio. And if it gets skewed too much in favor of subletters, lenders frown on that. Am I right about that? Well, you're 100% correct. And where we've made the change, we're cognizant of those underwriting requirements, both for individuals, prospective buyers getting mortgages, current shareholders who are refinancing their own mortgage, and last but not least, the building's underlying mortgage when they go to refinance. All those factors have to be taken into consideration. And where you're going to allow subletting, you would do it in an extremely conservative manner, never ever reaching close to those limits that would affect underwriting requirements. Okay, we're on a roll here, Neil. We've got two good examples. Give us one more. What, one more policy that boards need to be thinking about and possibly reconsidering and reversing. I think the old pied-à-terre policy. There were many co-ops who historically were against pied-à-terres, people who were buying into the building and disclosing that they would only be occupying that apartment at certain times during the week or maybe certain times during the year. The concern about pied-à-terres for those co-ops that precluded them was that we would lose control of the occupancy. It would become, quote-unquote, a crash pad for those shareholders, for families and friends when they would be in New York City. And there's a validity to that concern, but I think that concern can be addressed by other means in our proprietary lease and house rules and can control that. The benefit of allowing it is, again, you open up a broader population of prospective buyers that I think has an effect on value. There are people that want to be in New York only on the weekends and then they're, they're in their rural or suburban home during the week. And the converse, that they want to be in New York because... They're working, they need to be in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but they're going to head back to wherever they're heading the rest of the week. I think creating options for that new population, we're in a new world, Bill. We're in a new world of hybrid work. We're in a new world of people who are working remotely from different areas. And I think policies have to correspond to that changing world in order for us to protect apartment value. Well, now you've given us three great examples here, Neil, and I'm guessing you could probably talk all day. You've probably got a dozen more. But to wrap up, how do you advise your boards to address these issues? Is it a constant conversation you're having with your clients or how do you get them talking about these possibilities? We raise it as an agenda item on a meeting, and it's not something that's constantly reviewed or discussed. And there's no perfectly right answer. But a policy that might fit one board may not fit another. Orsid's role is not to define the policy. Our role is to give the board options, discuss the relative merits, benefits, and liabilities of those options. As you can tell, I am not shy. <laughs> so when asked, we'll gladly render our opinion. But it's not 
our decision. It's our obligation to give the facts, to give information, let the board render the decision, and then effectuate that decision. But you need to commence the discussion. And what happens sometimes, these kind of policy discussions often take a back seat to the emergent capital project or issue of the day. So boards find themselves often in a triage mode and sometimes discussing broader governance issues and policies issues don't come to the forefront. It's our job at ORSID to bring it to the forefront. Well, thank you very much for that, Neil Davidowitz, president of ORSID New York. Thanks, Neil. Thank you, Bill. 